Turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Our text tonight is chapter 6, verse 10, through chapter 7, verse 4. It really starts us a new unit here, a new section that really extends through verse 14 of chapter 7, but that is a lot to go over, and so for tonight, we are going to look at primarily the first four verses of chapter 7. You have some very interesting words that our Lord says, which everything he says was very interesting and extraordinary, but in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are those who mourn. And those words seem to be just so antithetical to what we are so bombarded with every day by media or song. Uh, Everything uh, is usually about being happy, about being fulfilled, about being satisfied with whatever the world is offering, whether it's love or whether it's material things, as we've seen even with Uh, The majority of chapter 6, as we went over last Wednesday, we see where wealth gets us and the trap that is set for the the love of wealth. But that seems to be what the emphasis is, is, is on a happy ending for your life or living happily ever after, all of that. So many of the movies and stories are all geared towards that. They usually have some kind of a crisis in the middle or something like that that leads up to the climax and then the resolutions and what have you. But usually when they're in the midst of a crisis or the death of someone they love, which seems to turn the story, it's really not a time in which um, much contemplation occurs there. A lot of times when a crisis occurs within the story, it's usually... You know, someone did this to my loved one, and now the story turns and it focuses that way. But it always ends. It's leading up to living happily ever after, as you can see with so many Disney movies. So many things uh, emphasize living happily ever after and do not really confront the reality of life. or uh, or, Or the things that can be learned in the time of mourning and the time of sorrow. Because, obviously, it doesn't take very, very long at all, us contemplating our own lives, to see that sometimes life isn't always happily ever after. A lot of times it's, it's pain, it's suffering, it's trials. And having that kind of a mindset with the movies, it's like, we endure these things, but we don't take the time to learn from them. We want to we move past them, and we want to get to what we're bombarded with in the, the media stuff. We want the happily ever after. We want the happy ending. We don't want these things that occur in our life, the things which can really teach us so much if we just give our attention over to it with the right attitude. But what did Jesus say? Blessed are those who mourn. He goes on to say, even in the passage, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are enduring the pain and the suffering in life. So antithetical to 
our own day and the emphasis that is placed upon uh, movies and books and so forth. It's in the time of mourning that we can truly be blessed because it's in the time of mourning and of pain and of suffering that we really contemplate the reality of life. The timing, the, the time of mourning is really a wisdom teacher, if we allow it to be, that can promote in us what is good in God's sight, that it would move us to live a God-glorifying life. And this is what we're learning from Solomon tonight, Solomon the preacher, who is going to give some words that in any other sense, in any, in any other setting, uh, would, would make people scratch their heads and say, I don't understand how this can be. Because he's going to show us that there is great wisdom in the house of mourning. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We are reading chapter 6, beginning of verse 10 through chapter 7, verse 4. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and fallible words. And let us give our attention to the Holy Scripture. Whatever exists has already been named. And it is known what man is, for he cannot dispute within him who is stronger than he is. For there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow. For who can tell a man what will be, here, what will be after him under the sun? A good name is better than a good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for every portion of your word, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God for our instruction. It is breathed out by you, and we pray that as we go over this passage that we will see, uh, Father, the, the great uh, lessons that are here for us from you to teach, teach us how to live that it would impact our lives greatly for the glory of your name. We pray that your word would go forth, accomplishing all you set forth to do, that the Spirit of God would apply it to our hearts, Father, giving us comfort, encouragement, and cultivating in us a greater desire to live for the majesty of Christ. Thank you for this portion of your word, and we pray that it would impact us greatly. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, amen. Please be seated. We're primarily going to focus in on chapter 7, verses 1 to 4. Verses 10 to 12 of chapter 6 really set up the first 14 verses of chapter 7. In, in that portion, verses 10 through 12, you really have two questions that are asked, and then those questions are answered in chapter 7. 
And when you sum it all up, as Solomon is building up to really going into a new area from where he was, uh, speaking, of course, of, of the deception of wealth and longing for wealth, all of that, he really asks two questions. Who knows what is good for us? And who can tell what will happen to us? That's really boiling it down. Those are the two questions in verses 10 to 12. And those two questions are then answered by the preacher. The first question, who knows what is good for us, is answered in verses 1 to 12. Who can tell what will happen to us? Verses 13 and 14 in chapter 7. And there's many things to look at here. He really goes into a number of different uh, proverbial sayings, statements. But we're just looking at the first four. Because it's here in the first four that he's really bringing something to our minds that perhaps otherwise we wouldn't have thought of. We wouldn't have considered. Especially when he's talking about going to a house of mourning. Going to a funeral, as it were. We think of funerals and maybe we kind of recall at the thought of having to go to a funeral or uh, enduring a funeral for someone that you love, a, a family member, friend. I was just talking to a young man who works with us. He's like 19 or 20. He just had a very close friend of his uh, die recently. Uh, tragically, the young man committed suicide. And he and I were talking about it uh, yesterday at work. And he's, he was just very tore up. You know, he didn't really want to go, perhaps. This is his friend, but, you know, there were some good things that happened. In the end, they were talking about his life and, and the wonderful memories that they had. But it's in the midst of the time in the funeral, having to go through that, that, that really is the, the most difficult part. And yet Solomon is saying that there's wisdom here. And it's like, how can that be? These are the areas of life that we want to move past real quick. Let's get done with the funeral. Let's get over. Let's move on. I need to get back to healing. We need to heal. And, and granted, all of those things are true in the sense of that God does bring healing to us. And, and sometimes it takes time for that to occur. And, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a level in which, you, especially if it's someone you love dearly, uh, there's a level that you don't really ever get over it. But you learn to endure it. And you can endure it by the things that we learn here in this passage. So he tells us. He, he asks the question, what, what is good for us? And one of the first things he says is that it's good to go to a house of mourning. But why? Why does he say that? Seems like it would be, uh, it would be more in line with our own thinking or our own desires to, to say something like, it's better to go to a house a feasting with all of your friends. But that's not what he's saying. Why does he say that, it, that it's better to go to a house of mourning? We'll come back to verses, verse 1 there uh, here in just a minute, but let's look first at why is it better to go to a house of mourning. And if we're looking at everything in conjunction with one another, having the good name being better than a uh, good ointment in the day of one's death, better than one's, uh, better than one's birth, 
it's, it's, it's at the time of, of mourning in, in a house of mourning that we really reflect upon the brevity of life. If you can occupy your mind with anything else and you're being amused by this and amused by that, you're not thinking about the reality of things. You're just trying to have a good time, keeping your mind occupied with other things. But it's at the time when you're sitting when you're sitting in the pews or wherever the funeral is being held, that you are confronted with the, the, the shortness of life. It's there that the reality of life is, is can, you're confronted with it because you, you understand life is short. That perhaps the, the loved one who is in the casket before you, you're looking at this and saying, this is going to be me. And it causes that kind of reflection. We we're contemplating our own mortality when, when we're at funerals. Recognizing that, as Solomon says here, that our lives are, are like a shadow. Like a vapor. The span of our lives is like the morning dew. It's here and it's gone. And when you go to the house of mourning to the time of, of enduring the funeral... This is what you're confronted with, is the reality of life and death. You can't just ease through life and pretend that it's not coming or whatever. It's here that you're confronted with it. And it's here that not only do you reflect upon the shortness of your own life, you begin to re perhaps reflect upon your own character, your own reputation, because you're there at the funeral and you're, you're listening to maybe stories of whoever is lying in the casket? What kind of life did they live? What was their character like? What kind of testimony did they leave? And then it makes us reflect upon that too. What kind of testimony would I leave if I died right now? What would people think about me if I died right now and people were attending my funeral? He says a good name is better than good ointment. Thomas Boston, one of the Puritans, he says under this phrase are comprehended all the riches, pleasures, and honors of the present world. He says a good name, he begins that section, a good name is better than good ointment. It's better than all the riches and all the pleasures and all the honors of life. Having a good name is better. Having a good character, having a good reputation more so than all the riches of the world. And yet that's what men keep themselves occupied with. Not contemplating, not thinking of the end. As it's very similar how Jesus says, you know, what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? The time of, of mourning causes us to see life in reality as it is. You can't mask it. You can't ignore it with other things. You're confronted with it. And this is the end of every man, and we must consider our own selves in light of that. And so that's why it's good, in a sense. That's why the time of mourning is something that can help and can promote godliness within us, because you think about the shortness of life. It's like a vapor. It's a shadow. And you begin to think of those questions in your mind. What have I done with the time that has been given to me? 
What have I done with it? And that's why having that reality right there in your face can be uh, a great tool used by the Lord in order, in order to, to help us to prioritize life as it should be, that he would be honored in our life. Look what else he says, though. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. Now, what does that mean? Sorrow is better than laughter. Now, granted, we see the, the emptiness of, of the pleasures of life and indulging in the things and a uh, man trying to keep himself occupied. But what happens? You keep yourself occupied with laughter and with all of these other things, and you're not contemplating the reality of things. When you die, what do you have to look forward to thereafter? But a life that is lived in honor to the Lord and the time comes that you die and the people around you know your character and your good name that you have left behind this testimony of your love for the Lord. Then there is sorrow and yet at the same time there is a happy heart. You experience both at the same time. Now that just seems two polar opposites and yet it is experienced by the people of God. It is experienced by those who, who are, are sorrowful, yes, because their loved one is gone, no longer here, and yet there's a happiness in the heart to say they are with Christ. My loved one is with Christ. And, and it's there again. In all of this, it, there, there's wisdom. There's wisdom being uh, built into the person. There's teaching that is going on. Uh, again, people think that the fulfilled life or the whatever is to just live it up. And what are they doing? They're just masking the reality of things. It's all temporal. It's all superficial. And that's exactly what one writer says. He says, at a birthday bash, frat party, we wedding reception, or whatever other kind of party one might attend, People do not normally evaluate how well and wisely they are living their lives. Even the most celebratory New Year's Eve parties are superficial. In the time of feasting and laughter and you're amusing yourself with this and that, you're really not contemplating how well you're living your life when you're living it up. Or when you're so occupied with, with festivities. You're not contemplating how well you live your life. And that's what he's saying. In the time of mourning, these are the things you think of. These are the things that you're reflecting on. How well am I living my life? Now, the house of mourning is better than a house of feasting. And Sorrow is better than laughter. And the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of, the house of pleasure. So many contrasts there. 
a number of different contrasts, but all pointing to the very same reality. You know, there are people that don't like to go to funerals. In one way, that's understandable. It's not really something that you would think would be perhaps good to go. So maybe we avoid it. And we avoid uh, the idea of death. We don't like to think about it. Again, this is something that you find so much within uh, so many stories and movies or whatever. You know, it's always getting past that part to the, to the next part. But the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning. If you can allow that particular thing, that, 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 that hurt, that pain, that sorrow that you are experiencing in the time that you're sitting there, contemplating life, contemplating death, you allow that to penetrate in the heart, then you begin to think of these things, and it does truly affect you. It affects you for the better. Especially if, it's some, if you're attending someone's funeral who did uh, leave a, a wonderful testimony of their love for the Lord. Because you see all the people that come and the people that are there and they're talking about this one and, and maybe what, a, what an impact that they had in their life or whatever. Or you've seen how the Lord worked in their life and you sit there and you think, that is, that is a wonderful, wonderful testimony to leave behind. The people recognize you not just because of what you did for a living or any of this other stuff, but by your love for the Lord. Then the wheels begin to turn. What will people say of me? What will people think of me? Am I living a life that is pleasing to Christ, a life that is... Um, being seen before others, my friends and my family, that they know of my love for Christ. Am I ordering my life in such a way that I leave behind a good name? More so than any riches and wealth, I can leave behind a lasting testimony for the next generation and those that come after. Now, if you think of that, that, that kind of seems maybe a far-fetched kind of thing, but but we leave behind a, a lasting testimony. Think of all the people who we read. Think of all the ones that, that most of our heroes are dead people. Most of the people that we read are dead people. Why? Because they made a lasting impact on the Christian faith by their love and their devotion to the Lord. They left a testimony. Now, that's on a grander scale, but on a smaller scale, when it comes to your family, you can leave that same kind of a lasting legacy by leaving to your children the one thing that they knew that was evident was your love for Christ. And then perhaps as they grow older and that affects them to the point that they desire then to honor Christ in their life, sometimes it takes a little while. Sometimes it takes a little bit to get the attention for the Lord to get the attention of our children. I know that, that for me, I wasn't converted until I was 20 or 21, and I only had less than one year that I was able to share that with my dad before he died. Sometimes it comes a little late before the parents leave on. But then, contemplating your own mortality, contemplating your own life and, and your own character and your good name and these things, it promotes in you a desire to leave it for your children that they too would grow up 
in such a way that Christ will be honored in their life if the Lord wills. There are so many good things that can come of that. Even in some of the most ridiculous situations in funerals. Because sometimes some crazy things go on in a funeral. Having no idea why this is happening. And yet, even in the midst of times like that, some good things can come too. Especially if you have a loved one who keeps sing, singing the, the same verse over and over and over again. And then you have another cousin who's over here going, oh my gosh. And there's a little laughter there whenever it happens. And you think this is ridiculous. But at the same time, it can still cause those other good things. Reflecting upon uh, your own mortality and your own life in view of eternity, which is good. So the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, and the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. There's a, there's a level that we don't really want to think about the time maybe that we die. And we may wonder you know, when it may happen and, you know, maybe make us a little anxious at times or whatever. And, and, I, and I understand that. You know, uh, I, I think this past year has been one of the one year in particular that has made me contemplate a lot of that, too. My, my father dies at 52. My brother dies at 43. And you wonder, well, how old am I going to live to be? Am I going to live past that? <laughs> and there are times in which you ask those questions and you wonder. But at the same time, it all has to boil down to this. If I'm, if, if I'm living you know, another number of years or if I live just a couple more years, my life should still be the same in the sense that I want to keep living a life that is glorifying to Christ to leave a testimony for my children regardless of when my time is. And that's where the focus needs to be for the people of God. It doesn't matter how long we live or how long we don't live. You know, it's not about, you know, this person died at such a young age or this person got to live a full life. What a waste. What a fulfilled life. We don't contemplate any of that. We recognize that when the time comes that someone leaves, especially when they're in Christ, that they have gone home with the Lord. And so in that we're sorrowful and yet we have a happy heart. And we contemplate our own selves, and it promotes in us a greater desire to live for the glory of Christ. What have I done with the time that was given to me? Let me live a life that is glorifying to the Lord, regardless of how long or how short my life is. Now look at what he says, though, back in verse 1. He says, a good name is better than a good ointment, and the day of one's death better than the day of one's birth. You know, whenever babies are born, such a wonderful time for the family, for loved ones and friends. You know, you go and you see the little baby and how cute that they are. And, and you see the preciousness of life. And, and you're just taken, taken aback with, with the, little, the little babies, the little, little children. And you're watching them grow and, and all of that. But he says, 
that the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Why? When you see a little baby, the baby is cute. The baby is just so, so pretty, so beautiful, and yet you have no idea what kind of person that baby's going to grow up to be. You have no idea. You don't know if they're going to grow up to be a well-known person that can really help society with this or that. Someone who's going to grow up to be someone who's maybe wicked. Someone who's going to grow up to be one who serves the Lord faithfully. You have no idea. But in the day of one's death, you know all those answers. Because your life was the testimony. When you die, people know who you are. People know how you were. People knew your character. They knew your life. And especially for those that were in Christ, knowing your life, knowing the outcome of your faith and, and all that the Lord has done in your life, then it is a time that is time for a happy heart on the day of your death. Because it's at the day of your death that you really begin life. see the little baby have no idea how they're going to grow up the day of your death for those that are in Christ now you begin life again Thomas Boston he says for sin is the worst of evils the most subversive of the perfection the perfection of our nature and the destructive and the destruction of our real happiness it is then a blessed and glorious change which is made at death and of an advantage to the believer when he is delivered from this pernicious evil. The day of your death is the day you really begin to live because no longer is evil that, that permeates this world going to be in effect any longer. For the sin that we, we wrestle with in ourselves that battle is over and it's gone. The struggle is gone. And then you begin life, your real life. The life that is with our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. A life that is no longer filled with pain and of suffering and of, of aggravations and hurts and any of those things. It is a life that is now free from sin. And that's why it's a better day. It's a better day than the day you were born. Not so for the wicked. Thomas Boston went on to say that for the wicked, that death is the king of terrors. The king of terrors to the unbelieving. If we can see death in the way that God does and to see how Solomon is really bringing that about to see the wisdom that is there in the funerals, to contemplate our own lives, to promote in us a, a sense of our, of, our own, uh, of our own mortality and all of that, and to bring us into view of eternity and to then begin to live our lives in view of eternity, and then the day comes when we die and we go home to be with the Lord. If we can see death in the sense that God does, one, it teaches us to live in, in a right manner before the Lord, as uh, Moses had prayed in Psalm 90, so teach us to number our days that we present to you a heart of wisdom. And then when the time comes in which we leave this world, it is 
the better day. It is the best day. Though we don't view it that way. It is the greatest day of a believer's existence when they leave this life and they open their eyes in the next life. So there are good things there to contemplate and to reflect upon. That doesn't mean that you're not going to be sorrowful. He says that you are going to be sorrowful. And yet in the midst of sorrow, you're going to have the happy heart because you recognize where your loved one is. When the death of a loved one occurs, we experience simultaneously the sorrow and happiness at the same time. Knowing then that our loved one is more alive now than they ever could have been here. Because then they're with the king. But allowing that reality to affect our hearts and to really penetrate our hearts, not, not to ignore it, not to run from it, but to confront it head on can have some lasting effects in our life and our walk with Christ. So we, we don't need to remove ourselves from that. And this is one of the greatest times at a funeral. When everyone is contemplating the reality of their own life, this is one of the best times to give them the greatest news that could ever be given, which is that Jesus died for sinners. Some people don't like that. They're like, you know, this is a funeral. Let's talk about the loved one or whatever. No, we need to talk about the fact of where our loved one is and why. Because Jesus died for sinners. And you can be there too. The things that, that we're so enamored with really want to take our minds off of that, that, sort of, uh, that sort of living and that sort of reality, especially when it comes to funerals and what have you. But, but that's not what God's word teaches us to do. And America's obsession with it uh, is, is, is staggering at times, as Carl Truman says. That they're so obsessed with happy endings. <laughs> Carl Truman says, I remember my jaw hitting the floor some years ago when I watched a Disney version of Notre Dame to Paris where the hunchback does not die but lives happily ever after. The point of the story of Quasimodo is that the guy with the hump dies at the end and it's terribly sad. My wife is meant to cry. And I am meant to feel angry at the raw deal Quasimodo has been dealt in the poker game of life. Everyone wants to live the happily ever after. American media is obsessed with it, as Carl Truman points out. But this cannot be allowed to affect us in what we know to be right. And what we know that is good which is to confront it head on and allow it to affect us to a, such an extent that we begin to contemplate those questions. Who are we? What have we done for the glory of Christ? How have I lived my life? And am I leaving a good name? 
and a good name, meaning that people recognize your love for Christ. Not a good name in the sense of all the great charities that you've given to or whatever, and you were so generous, but a good name in the sense this person loved Christ. And times like that can truly move us for the better. One writer says this, death is certainly the enemy, but it is also one of the greatest evangelists. So let us then look at death in the sense that God does in the way that he teaches us to look at it. So that, yes, we feel sorrow when our loved one dies. And yet at the very same time, we feel happiness for them knowing they're with Christ. And then it cultivates in us a greater desire to live for the glory of Christ for the time that we have. It's difficult, but it is something that will ultimately be for our good. So let us remember that. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, thank you once again for this portion of your word. And thank you for the great lessons that we learn through your word. It is very difficult when one of our loved ones dies. But Father, we, we are grateful at the same time for those that die in Christ. Because we recognize that Father, we will all be together in heaven with, with you. And we will spend eternity together um, desiring to know more of you and having eternity to, to try. And what, what a wonderful time that we will have together worshiping perfectly, fellowshipping perfectly, loving perfectly. Uh, thank you for what we have to look forward to in Christ, to be there with our King together. When the times come that our loved ones pass, Father, help, help us to remember passages like this, that we don't fall into despair, we don't lose hope, we are not so consumed with, with sorrow, but that we can still uh, fix our eyes upon Christ and say to you be the glory. Use me as you wish. Thank you, Father, for this portion of your word. And may it accomplish all you desire in us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen.